0: Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode six of Yoga Land. On this episode, I talked to Catherine Budig. As I'm sure most of you know, Catherine is an internationally celebrated yoga teacher, and she's just come out with her second book, which is called Aim True. When I first met Catherine about 10 years ago on a photo shoot that she was modeling for, I was blown away by how strong she was, and by how adept she was at all of the poses that we threw at her. And now, a decade later, I'm equally blown away by how Catherine has applied all that she's learned from yoga and put it into this inspiring book, She's really honed her message and now focuses on helping people with self-acceptance and with creating their own positive life story and their own positive health story through her message of Aiming True. You can tell that the book is a labor of love, and I was itching to talk to her about it as soon as I got it. So in the course of our talk today, we discuss body image, we talk about how she learned to cook her favorite and least favorite yoga poses, and also her advice for navigating social media if you're just starting out as a yoga teacher. Now, this discussion around social media has come up with every yoga teacher I've interviewed so far, so I hope you don't find it redundant on the podcast. It seems like something that's really important to address right now because everyone I talk to is feeling very passionately about it. So here we go. Enjoy the interview with Catherine. Hi, Catherine. Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Good, thanks. Thanks so much for being here. I have to ask you the first most important question, which is, how are your pups?
1: Oh, they're so great. We just went on a walk this morning, and it's hot, so they're all passed out and panting and happy right now. How many do you
0: have right now?
1: Two. Two. Aw. Yeah.
0: I love that Ashi made an appearance
1: in the book. She, well, she's, she's the genius behind the brand, you know? <laughs> how old is Ashi now?
0: She's 10. Oh my goodness.
1: We've been together for 10 years. Yeah.
0: Well, I just want to say, you know, I emailed you like the night I got your book because I came home from work. I got it in the mail. I put my daughter to bed and like flipped it open thinking like, oh, I'll just look through it quickly. And I stayed up really, really late. I couldn't put it down. I just love it. I think it's really beautiful. There are many reasons I love it. And some of them are just like the industry geek in me. You know, it's just, It's such a gorgeous book. I know how much goes into creating such a lovely piece of work. And it's really well packaged, like it flows really well. And so it's easy to read and it's a great resource. But I think that the reason I love it the most is because it really feels like you. I think that's actually hard to do in a yoga book. I mean, there's so many yoga books and it just feels like it has your unique stamp on it. What was the experience like for you of writing the book? Did you have a vision before you started or did it just kind of come out as you were writing?
1: Well, I always knew that I wanted to write about AIM True, but I I honestly had been meeting with publishers about just a straight up yoga sequencing book that I wanted to write. And the publisher that I ended up signing with, they were like, actually, we're really interested in AIM True. Can you tell us more about that? So that's what they signed me for, obviously. And I had a 30-page proposal for this other book and like two last minute pages for aim true. So it's not like I had this amazing vision of exactly how I wanted the book to be formatted. It was just an idea. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I I just basically sat there and thought, okay, you know, how can I take aim true and apply it to all different forms of our life? How do we aim true everywhere in our life? Yeah. And so I looked at what's really important in my life and then started creating the table of contents that way. and, And that's really where, where it took off from there.
0: Yeah, well, that makes sense because I think that's what's so nice about it is, I mean, for me at least, it's it's not just a straight up sequencing book. And I think, you know, for, for those of us who love yoga, it affects all the different parts of our life. So, you know, you start to explore different things and like the, the part that for me that still stands out is actually the essential oil section.
1: I could not travel without my essential oils. I always have at least probably three different ones with me at all times. Yeah.
0: And do, do you feel like they keep you healthy and it's like a mood shifter for you?
1: I think primarily mood shifter for me because it's just there's smell association with certain... Well, I mean, obviously they medicinally help you as well, but the first thing it triggers is my attitude. And then I feel like from there, it trickles down into helping my digestion or helping me calm down or whatever it is that I'm using. Yeah, that's cool. Okay, so I want to talk more about
0: the book, but I'm wondering if first, if you would share... I've never asked you this, and I've known you for a really long time. Just kind of what your early first experiences of yoga were like.
1: Well, you know, I, I started practicing when I was in college, and I didn't know anything about yoga. I just knew yoga was yoga. I didn't know there were different styles or anything like that. So by the time I got to Yoga Works in Santa Monica, which was, you know, the mecca of yoga, I, I felt really in over my head. And the first night in the teacher training, Chuck Miller was doing theory, On Friday night, and it was, you know, 80% Sanskrit. And I just felt so stupid (laughs) and so out of place. And it wasn't until the next day when Mati started teaching the asana where I was like, okay, this is wildly difficult, but this is really interesting. And it was that slow process with the two of them who are so, you know, night and day different but amazing, getting all this beautiful philosophy from Chuck and this amazing physical practice from Mati. That's when I really started to transform. Because prior to that, I had Taken yoga in college. I had gone to the Aquatic Fitness Center. I had taken some Ashtanga classes. I didn't even know it was Ashtanga. I was just doing yoga. Yeah. So it, it was so incredibly accidental. And then, you know, doing yoga in Santa Monica, California with people who had been doing it forever, it was just getting thrown into not just yoga, but a lifestyle. So that was like, oh, I guess I should be a vegetarian now and I'm going to try this and I'm going to do that. And it was shocking how yeah. wasn't something that just happens in those hour to two hours that you were in the actual yoga studio?
0: Ah, yeah. Santa Monica has for a long time been such, my sisters lived there for more than 20 years. And it's, I mean, yoga has just been like the bedrock of that community for so long because of Chuck and Mati. But yeah, it's funny. One of the reasons I asked you that question is it's just so easy to look at really experienced, skillful teachers and think like, oh, it must have always been easy for them. And you know, must've just come really naturally. And, you know, usually that's not the case, especially someone who's a really good teacher and can like break things down in a way that people understand. Was there anything that was really hard for you at the beginning that might surprise people? I was horrible at handstand.
1: Wow. (laughs) There was 40 of us in our teacher training. And I was one of the only two people who couldn't kick up in a handstand against a wall. Yeah. No balance. Just like straight up. Couldn't even kick up into the pose. And that was mortifying at the time. Yeah.
0: And was it a fear? Do you think it was more of a fear response than a physical response? Or was it both? Just learning? I think
1: think it was definitely both. Because I was just really coming into this new... I knew my body because I had done musical theater for a long time. And and I was an athlete my entire life. But you know, yoga definitely takes it to a whole new level. And my my memory of that experience was I couldn't kick up. Chuck came over. He helped me kick up into the pose. And when I got out of it, I was crying at that point. He was like, You know, you physically possess everything that you need to do this posture. It's when you're ready in your mind. And that was just a very strong moment for me that I still think of on a regular basis. And I think of when I'm teaching my students and, and my personal practice. And also, like, when I'm ready in life and certain things, that's when it's going to happen. And not just because I think I'm ready and I can do it right now.
0: Right, right. It's so funny. Some of my earliest memories of you are like, Seeing all your handstand shots in different yeah. locations, I was like, oh, I remember just loving those, just thinking, Catherine should do a grid of all her handstand shots <laughs> in all her different locations around the world. Like, remember the guy who was who would dance around the world, his video went viral in all those spots. Love, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's interesting that you say when you were starting out and you discovered kind of the yoga culture. And one of the things that I've always been impressed about in your teaching is that you allow yourself to be funny. Like you use a sense of humor in your classes and that can actually be kind of rare. And I think it's less so now, but you know, it used to be that yoga was like this very, very serious practice. I remember when I started Yoga Journal, I felt like, oh gosh, what if I do something wrong and offend someone? And when you started teaching, were you just like, I'm going to be myself and my own persona and I can't really take on someone else? Or was it, did you kind of learn to find your voice and find yourself in your teaching?
1: Well, I think being myself always came naturally to me just because I don't really know how to do it any other way. But as far as finding my voice beyond just being myself, that took years. Mm-hmm. That took years to know what was important to me and what my message was and how can I get something beyond this is the shoulder alignment and downward facing dog to my students. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I did realize that I loved arm balances. And so I taught those a lot in the beginning. But that was strictly physical. I, I just knew I'm good at instructing these and I think they're fun. And, and then I realized, oh, this is empowering for people. And when I teach them these poses, this is giving them permission to step outside of this preconceived notion that they had about themselves. And then, you know, it's that trickle-down effect that this leads to this, this leads to this. And before you know it, you actually have a message that's empowering that you want to share with your students that goes beyond just look at this physical pose. So that took years because I just sounded like Mati for a really long time. Uh-huh. She's my, she was my teacher, and Which you know, is a great thing by the way, like to sound like Mati. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. Oh. <laughs> you know, I probably just sounded like a little mini Mati. <laughs> That's normal for people when they get out of their teacher training. It's just they mimic their teachers, not because they don't know what else to. Do. Well, yeah, because they don't really know what else to do. In it, it takes time.
0: Let's talk about your book. I mean, it's a good segue. The name of your book is Aim True. Can you talk about the story of this concept and how Aiming True became so powerful to you?
1: So when I was a little girl, I spent a lot of time outside by myself. I grew up in Kansas and a lot of make-believe, a lot of magic. And I loved Greek mythology in particular. So Artemis has been my favorite goddess. And as an older woman, I I reclaimed her in my mind when I started to look at her story and realized how powerful she is. As an individual because she, she chose to not get married. She chose to go live with her tribe and her sisters and, and to not do the normal societal thing. And her father, Zeus, was okay with that. And as a little girl, that didn't make any sense to me. I just thought she was cool because she had a bow and arrow and she was tough. And she was a tomboy. Yeah, totally. She was a tomboy. <clears throat> but then as an adult, I realized, wow, you are going completely against the grain. You are completely fine with being 100% who you are, And you can handle whatever judgment comes at you and you're still going to do what you want to do. And that was huge. So when I realized what an amazing role model she was for that ability to be yourself, that's when I really started looking at her. And I found a prayer that was written to her. And the first line of the prayer was, make my aim true. That was you know, the catalyst for me to figure out what it meant for me personally in my life to aim true. And then once I found that out and it started working really well for me as a teacher, of course, I thought perhaps this is something I could offer to other people because it's working so well for me. So I had been teaching how to aim true for years and then finally was given the opportunity to put pen to paper and and to write a book about it.
0: One of the things I always think about is I often will write about things if I want to kind of send the message to myself. After you wrote the book, did it kind of solidify what aiming true is for you in your life right now?
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh. You know, and it's funny because it's it's what I work on every day. It's not like I am 100% fantastic at aiming true at all given times, but taking the time to see it in all different aspects of my life, it's really good for me because when I have bad days and I'm having just crabby, moody pants going on, it's easy for me to look at what I wrote and go, all right, you know, this is applicable to me too. Like I can't just ask other people to behave this way. This is something that I have to do for myself. So yeah, it's really Really thrilling to see it all in one place. Well, not all, but at least volume one. Yeah, in one place where I can remind myself of what's important and what I need to be focusing on, and how easy it is to get distracted.
0: Yeah. So you've been out on a book tour, and I'm sure you've gotten to meet so many of your fans. Have you had like any kind of response that surprised you to the book, or or any response that's been like? oh, everyone's identifying with this one thing. Like, this must be really
1: resonating with people. You know, it's been really powerful for me because I've seen a large range of age. And that's been really exciting for me because I I do think this is a universal message. Obviously, my branding is very feminine. It's been really awesome to see a lot of men respond. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I was wondering about that. So different ages and genders has been great. You know, the food part, that's been really exciting for me because I've been writing a food blog for a while and contributing, but this is the first time that I've actually published my recipes in book form. So having people say how much they love the recipes has just been Dude, that. the food oh is so oh, great, uh, Catherine.
0: It's thank so, you. I'm just, I'm so into it. it and it's, it's like a constant experiment. And I'm such a person that like, I can't be, I, sometimes I wish I could, but I can't be dogmatic and fundamentalist like about anything, mm-hmm. but there's just like, okay. s- I know, I know. but sometimes <laughs> I just think it would be so much easier if I could just be like regimented, but it's just not how right. I am. Right. Um, I get too bored. And, but <laughs> I feel like just like the general principles of eating whole foods, anti-inflammatory diet, figuring out what works for you, enjoying your food. Like I just totally love your message and mm-hmm. I really appreciate it. So one of the things you talk about is, you had the American diet that so many of us had, which is like, you know, eating the mac and cheese, the orange kind and like mirror Whip and all that stuff. So what shifted, like, how did you learn to cook? You you know, you, you talk about how it wasn't just like an inherited thing. We can all learn to cook. How did you learn to cook?
1: Well, it definitely didn't come from my parents. And I mean, I love my mom. I love my dad, but they very, very basics when it comes to the kitchen. And my high school boyfriend, both of his parents loved to cook. So every time I would be over at their house, they would teach me, you know, how to make rice. I didn't know how to make rice. I was like, oh my God, why is this rice so good? And so they, (laughs) you know, teach me how to properly make that. Or his father taught me how to make a meat sauce. And that became a staple that I made in college for my friends all the time when I make pasta. Uh And so they gave me all the basics. And then by the time I went to college, I was the only one who knew how to cook. So I ended up cooking for all my roommates because I had the, the very basic tools and so I learned through experience. And then by the time I got to Los Angeles, I was in the health world. So I was getting all this knowledge from nutritionists and yogis and, and fitness. And um, I started working with Jada De Laurentes, was one of my private clients. And I would talk about food with her every single day. Nice. I learned so much from her. That is an amazing person to learn from. You know, I dated a chef for a while. I, sadly, oh. that, that didn't work out as long as I needed it to. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and then just self-taught. I have tons and tons of cookbooks and it's just sheer passion. I travel for a living, so I've been really fortunate to taste all these different cuisines and and backgrounds. And then I try to come home and figure out, like, how can I recreate that in in my kitchen with my spin on it?
0: If you were talking to someone who, you know, wanted to get healthier, but just like busy life, busy job, all of those things. and you know, doesn't have a lot of experience cooking, where should they start?
1: Well, I put a a five-day purification process in the book, actually, for people like that. And I didn't want to create it for yogis who are already really good at cleansing and being healthy. I really thought about someone like my father when I put together this process. My, My father, who's in his 70s from Nebraska, what would he actually take the time to eat? And so, you know, it could be something as simple as cut soda out of your diet. And instead of having soda every day, have a kombucha or have, you know, a bubbly water with lemon in it or something along those lines. And that may not seem like a big deal, but if you're drinking soda every single day, that's huge. Right. Like just the simplicity of cutting a sugary beverage or just drinking water instead of all these other sugary beverages during the day, you know, starting with something like that and see if you can do that for two weeks, Mm -hmm. you know, don't worry about anything else. The next step would be, you know, I, I talk about trying to cut processed food out of your diet. And you don't have to go home and cook some super elaborate meal. Like you could make a huge pot of quinoa and then keep it in your refrigerator and have that for several days and then just cut up some fresh veggies or some protein or whatever it is and poof, put that on top, add a sauce, and you're good to go. Totally. And you know, a lot of it is just prepping. Or when you get back from the grocery store, clean your veggies right away, cut them up, have them ready to go. Yes. That way you don't look at it like, oh, uh, it's so much work. Just do it. Yeah. Have it ready, and then it's go time. So whatever it is that makes you feel – less lazy. Yeah. And accessible.
0: Yeah. The Sunday night prep is so vital. Like make yourself a pot of lentils. Yeah. Have, have one good salad dressing, mm-hmm. you know, a type of goat cheese that you like or something. And just like you said, just mix it together. That's been totally. huge for me. Yeah. Yeah. Gears a little bit. You have such a great talk on Mind Body Green about body image, and I'll include a link to this on our show notes page. You know, this is an issue that's like so dear to my heart, too, because I have my own raft of issues, like so many of us do. I think it's really admirable that you stood up and were totally honest about it. I've actually had a yoga teacher friend come up to me and say, Man, like if Catherine struggles with this, it makes all of us feel so much better right? Because people don't even know what other people are struggling with. So love that. I want to ask, like, if you could wave your magic wand in the yoga community,
1: what could we change in the way that we talk about the body? It would have to be a combination of what we say and what we offer. And I think because the community has turned into such a visually oriented platform now, that's where a lot of the problem is where I was actually joking about this the other day where I put up a picture of me in a bathing suit at the beach and I'm happy with my body overall. Like I, I definitely have days where I feel like, I feel good, I feel confident. And then the next day I'm like, I feel like a fat cow and I yeah. don't know what to do about it. And it's just, it's called being human. Yes. I mean, the most beautiful men and women I've ever seen have that dialogue in their head too. So it doesn't matter what your size or gender or ethnicity or anything is. Like we all have this crazy internal dialogue. Right. And it's crazy, but it's very real in our heads. Mm-hmm. So it's just, the, I think in the yoga world, the problem is, you know, I'll get comments on my body where they're like, oh, it's just, like, it's so nice to just see you post. Like, you're so comfortable in your body. You just put up a picture of you in a bathing suit. Or it's like, I'm a size four. I know,
0: and, you are tiny. <laughs> and a
1: size four, like, that is a very generic, like, uh, society thinks that's a good-sized body. But you go to the yoga world, And a size 4 all of a sudden is huge. And if my size 4 body, which is very tiny compared to the rest of the world, is all of a sudden viewed as something that isn't tiny in the yoga world, we're doing something severely wrong. Right. Severely, severely wrong. Because if I'm made to feel big, like I can't imagine... What anyone who's bigger than a size four is feeling—that's utter bullshit. You know, it's it's wildly frustrating. And I'm not saying that all these beautiful women with these beautiful bodies that wear very little outfit and do these amazing poses shouldn't be posting, but it's just like we can't pretend like that's the norm. Yeah. And I I think that's what's happening right now is people are seeing, you know, these little tube tops and little tiny shorts and like cellulite-free bodies doing all these contorted things, and we think, holy crap. Like, I didn't know you could bend your body that way and not get at least one dimple. That should definitely cause a dimple. And it's just, it's really skewing us. And so, I don't know. It's weird because I'm not saying that those beautiful men and women shouldn't be beautiful. But it's just like more of us would just be comfortable in being ourselves and putting up pictures that don't, like, stuff is edited all the time. Right. Like, the amount of Photoshop that you can do from your own cell phone these days is horrible. Like yeah. it's just, it, it's horrible because then if you're going through and you're making all these modifications on a photo and then putting that and saying, that's what I really look like. You're just going to feed the neuroses of another person who's already struggling with how they look. And it's like, go ahead and put up a picture where you have cellulite or go up and put a picture where your stomach is completely flat or you don't think it's flattering, but it's still a great pose. Like that's what the world needs more of is people just being like, this is me and I look really good. Yeah. You know, this is really, really good. And I think people like Jessamyn Stanley, what she's doing right now, she's just unbelievable. Yeah. Um, Unbelievable. She's such a powerhouse. And and I want to see more men and women embracing who they are and not feeling apologetic about it.
0: Yeah. You've been such a supporter of that. And I, I really, again, you know, I appreciate it. Having worked at Yoga Journal for as long as I did, I think I unwittingly became a part of this idea that, and it was like, Probably because of some of my own unconscious inner self loathing, right? Like I became a part of this idea that a really muscular body or a really toned body, or I mean, I don't, I don't want to say thin because we that really actually wasn't something that we tried to cultivate, but that that was the equivalent of like a healthy body, right? right. And I, I feel like with Justine and with like Virgie Tovar and like there's just this movement of saying hey, there are plenty of healthy people that don't fit into one category. And it's it's just, it's really enlightening. (laughs) Like it's really.
1: I saw a cover of a magazine recently and the focus was on getting a strong core. And of course it was a, you know, probably 25 year old white woman with really great abs on the cover of the magazine. And I just was like, that's wildly frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, she had a beautiful, beautiful abdominal area. And I'm not saying like, oh, you suck. Like, good for you. You look great. I mean, why do we keep telling people that that's what a healthy core looks like? Right. That's ridiculous, you know? And some people are just naturally soft. Some people are naturally ripped. But it's just like we keep saying this is the only way that a core looks healthier. This is the only body that looks healthy. Like, no wonder people are freaking out about the way they look on a regular basis.
0: Yeah. And actually... I don't have the study at my fingertips, but I can try to find it for the show notes. There, the study studies show that when women are shamed about losing weight, there was a study where there were two groups of women and there was a control group and they were just given a positive mindset about weight loss, like things that they could do to be in a healthy weight range. And then the second group was shamed about weight loss. And that group had a much harder time adhering to healthy guidelines because- mm-hmm shaming doesn't work. It it, Like psychologically, it's just not helpful. So if you're going to only include really a certain body type, then probably only that type of person is going to be helped (laughs) by that media, which is just really interesting. But, you know, it's just such an important issue because in all facets of life, like the whole social media issue and photography issue. And of course, you know, like I said, I mean, I come from a magazine background, like that was the origin of color correcting right like getting rid of wrinkles in shirts and then getting rid of a few wrinkles in the chest
1: area or getting through and you know i've had all my freckles photoshopped off before oh wow yeah i'm like what but i have freckles they're like but it doesn't look good but like but that's what I look like yeah
0: yeah (laughs) since social media is not gonna go away anytime soon we just somehow have to get the message out that like it's okay to look at a beautiful picture and it's okay to want to look beautiful in a picture and what you see in real life Beauty is so different. Like seeing like a range of expression is beautiful in real life and seeing a range of bodies is beautiful. And not that those things aren't beautiful in social media, but just if it's dominated, if the commercial world is dominated by one type, we have to remember like it's just not real life somehow. I don't know how. But I do worry, you know, like I just I think about the next generation and just just how are we going to help them discern between what's real and, and what's not? I don't know. I don't have the answers. They're real hard. <laughs> yeah. It's like switching gears slightly to a kind of a funnier take on this topic. How did you come up with the term meat suit?
1: Oh, my gosh. Um, there is this show that I absolutely love, and I'm going to sound like such a dwarf. It's called Supernatural. It's about, it's like ghosts and demons and, oh, okay. and stuff. And and the demons on that show, they inhabit human bodies and they call the bodies meat suits. And so I was always like, ah, meat suits. But then I really started thinking about it in terms of, oh, actually this is a meat suit. And yeah. it, this meat suit, fortunately doesn't encompass a demon, but it you know, encompasses a soul. And so I started thinking about that in terms of when I'm talking about body image issues. It's like, that's how simple this is. This is a meat suit that, as gross as it sounds, is decaying every single day, slowly. And yet the one thing that's staying really powerful is the spirit that inhabits it and right. makes us alive. And yet what do we focus on? We focus on the casing instead of what is animating it. And now it's like a kind of funny term that I use when I'm talking about it. But it helps people to like really understand like, oh my gosh, I'm spending all this time worrying about a superficial part of my body or superficial aspect of who I am. And it's a good wake-up call when yeah. people see it that way. It's a very, very effective metaphor. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it is, because when you think, like, I have a meat suit, and that person who I, you know, suddenly feel, like, envious of, or whatever, is, they have a meat suit, too. Like, it's that whole, you know, not identifying with, like you said, not identifying with the body so much. What, what would you say is one of the more difficult aspects of your practice these days?
1: just straight up doing it Yeah. (laughs) Um, time right yeah you know because it's just I feel like I have so little time for myself period anymore that yoga asana does not appeal to me in the way that it once did Mm -hmm. and it still feels good and I still do poses where I'm like oh I love double pigeon I love legs up the wall sun salutations feel nice like a handstand here and there is exciting but like to do a straight up full blown well rounded asana practice for me these days it's hard because if I'm doing something and I get free time, I want it to be really stimulating to Mm me. And I've been doing asana for 15 plus years now. So it's not like, oh, I'm so good at that. I don't need to learn anymore. It's not that. It's just, I have that kind of personality that constantly needs to be stimulated and and challenged. Mm -hmm. And I don't have a senior teacher here and it's really, really hard. And if I had someone that I could regularly go to that was deeply inspiring me, I'd probably be speaking differently right now, but I don't currently have that. So the yoga practice right now, it's, it's modified, but it, it's truly, I do it strictly to feel good.
0: Yeah. So what are some of the other modalities that you draw from these days? to keep For yourself? inspiration
1: for the classes?
0: And or just, just like
1: just for yourself, really? Oh, for myself. I've actually been running a couple times a week, which uh-huh. is very weird because I don't love it, but I've been kind of talked into it. So I run a couple of miles a week outside And then I do martial arts. I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu and sparring and Kempo Karate. And then I like little like circuit training stuff. I think that's actually kind of fun where Mm -hmm. it's like 10 seconds of this, 30 seconds of that. Like Mm -hmm. that's whatever I can to get my body, keep up guessing. Yeah, 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 yeah. If someone were to look at your legacy, what would
0: you most like for them to take away from studying with you? I
1: think the absolute most important thing that I want people to take away would be the the confidence and comfort to be themselves and, and to be truly comfortable with who they are and not feeling the need to be like someone else, to reach a certain level, to feel like they've actually become accomplished, to like truly stand where you are and say, this is my choice. This is what I want. I don't care what you think about me. Mm-hmm. You know, hear me roar.
0: Yeah. You've become such a popular teacher over the years. Do you feel like there are hard parts of putting yourself out there that people might not expect in terms of you being yourself?
1: Um, yeah. you know, I think social media has been really challenging for me, and I've seriously <laughs> contemplated quitting it recently because I'm just so tired yeah. by it because it's, I think it's an amazing platform to inspire people and to get your message out there and to connect, and I love that. But I'm also tired with the expectations that come along with it, and how people think that you should share everything mm. and and that they're entitled to ask whatever they want and I've had a lot of change going on in my life, and I had people asking some really personal questions on my page and having conversations about me with other people on my page. It's infuriating to me because I'm like, you know people need to trust that if I have something important to share, I will on my terms when I think it's proper yeah. and it's draining. It's really, really draining. And it's the unfortunate part of being popular in any world that you're in is that you, you know, you have a public persona and I'm, I'm very aware of what comes along with that. And I'm okay with dealing with most of it when, but when people like really get up on my personal business, that's just, it's, it's not okay. I yeah. don't like. Yeah. When you
0: don't discuss anything with someone directly, like whether it's through a letter or an email or social media, people are so much willing to more willing to say things that they would never say. You know, so it's, 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 you know, Yeah. I was listening to Lena Dunham's podcast, and she talked about how she, um, or it was an interview that she did that she just signed off of her Twitter account because she just couldn't. Yeah. It was just too ta- like emotionally taxing for her on a daily basis, and so she now has, I think, her assistant, or you know, she, she's still on there, but she doesn't look at it every day, mm. and it seemed really wise to me. I think. I think that it's so interesting that. So many people are just dying to be so popular, but they don't necessarily know the shadow side. It can be really challenging oh, to the be Oh, the shadow out there.
1: side is deep. It's, there's a lot going on.
0: Yeah. This is actually a good segue. So what, for anyone who's starting out as a yoga teacher, what advice could you offer them in terms of navigating the social media world?
1: Mm-hmm. You know, I I just to be patient. It's like what you said, people are dying to be popular. And I I don't see people trying to be good at their craft anymore. They're just trying to be popular. Mm, mm -hmm. And they're trying to be famous. And that's what Mati used to ask all of us is, do you want to be a popular teacher? Do you want to be a good teacher? And truth be told, I think you can do both without a doubt. But you have to be good first if you want to become popular. And I just see people like, this is how you can be really successful on social media. And this is how you can get more followers. And it's like, F that. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> it's not about getting more followers. It's about putting really good content out in whatever your craft is. Yes, you have to use it to promote yourself. It, it, in this day and age, it's almost impossible to not. I mean, that's how you promote workshops and classes and this and that. Yes. It's, it's necessary. But like, don't be ruled by it. It's really messing up people's egos and self-perception and and be careful with the comparison game too I fall guilty of that all the time and I have to really reel myself back in and be like why am I looking at pages that just frustrate me why am I doing this to myself now I feel bad yeah I'm in a horrible mood (laughs) you know so you know focus on your offering and what your message is and and don't be constantly being like, well, she got more likes than I did. And it's the same kind of thing. Like, don't just don't do that to yourself because it's going to completely knock you off of what your mission is.
0: Yeah. I wrote this little note to myself, like when I was reading your book, do you, have you heard of FOMO? Yes. um, Okay. So fear of missing out. And it's like specifically, you know, came up around the internet and around comparing yourself to someone else's like Facebook photos or whatever it is. I wrote to myself, I feel like your book is like the anti FOMO manifesto. It's oh. like, <laughs> this is your life. You don't have to worry about what other people are doing. We're all unique and beautiful and lovable, and we all have something to offer. And this is your roadmap for helping you figure out what it is.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Love that. The yeah. anti FOMO manual. The <laughs>
0: anti FOMO manual right here. <laughs> so I wanna do just like a lightning round of questions. Ooh, okay. What is your least favorite yoga pose and why? And what's your most favorite yoga pose and why?
1: My least favorite yoga pose is shoulder stand. Ooh, Be- Because I just can't get comfortable for the life of me. And even if I use a bajillion blankets and props, I'm still like, ah. You know, and then gravity is all like falling on your face, and it's not fun. Yeah, it's just it's a highly uncomfortable pose. So at Bo- least boobs favorite boobs in your face. Yeah, totally boobs if in your. You've got the tatas; they're gonna <laughs> choke you out.
0: <laughs> I actually always used to have to say to Jason, "Like, will you please
1: pull my boobs out of my
0: face?" Because <laughs> you know you can have someone kind of like scoop. Anyway, <laughs> another it's another topic altogether.
1: The struggle is real. Um, <laughs> And then favorite pose, it, it, it would tinker between legs up the wall because I just love that so much. But if I was feeling more excited, I love handstand. I know it's trendy, but it's still, it's fun. It's yeah. just, it's freeing to me. Yeah.
0: Someday I'm going to have you and Alex Crow help me learn how to bounce oh, in the middle oh. of the room. I still don't do it. I still really? don't do it. And oh, we got you. Totally. It's just, it's just a block. It's like...
1: A Mm. long-term
0: block. Anyway, (laughs) Alex was like, just Skype me, girl. We'll figure it out. I love her. (laughs) (laughs) I always say that it takes a village to keep myself healthy because I'm kind of high maintenance. And I'm also really curious about all different forms of like integrative medicine. So I've always thought out different modalities, like, you know, nutritionists and naturopaths and acupuncturists over the years. Do you have like a village of healers in addition to your yoga practice and and
1: what works for you? I had a phenomenal team when I lived in LA, which was just almost impossible to duplicate or replace. But here uh, I have a chiropractor that I see on a regular basis because that's like my go-to maintenance, the travel on my neck, like my back, like it's really, really difficult with the amount of travel I do. And just the simplicity of carrying a big bag around all the time has been really demanding. So that's my main go-to person. I had this phenomenal acupuncturist that I went to when I lived in Los Angeles and I have yet to find someone here that I really love. And she was so great because she would prescribe all these natural homeopathic pills that were made out of food mm. to help you with whatever was going on. I have a really great doctor. His name's Dr. Will Cole that we Skype each other from time to time and he'll help me out. He's the one who told me to go grain free last summer and that oh. totally rebooted my digestive system because it was messed up. And so I feel like I got just this kind of bloat and weight off of my body that I couldn't get off prior wow. to doing that. So he's been amazing. And then just, you know, family, like yeah. my family's here, my best friends are here. And, and having that support system is huge because yeah. I, what's really healthy for me is to not think and not work. Mm-hmm. I just, I've, I've really in the past couple of years become incredibly bad at turning my brain off. And so I'm trying to get back to a place where I'm, I can do that and I can enjoy really the moment and what's going on.
0: Yeah. I live with a person who has that same issue. I totally know what you're talking about. Yeah. We're, we're going to, we, you know, we've started doing more like household building projects and like <laughs> working with his hands. And that has really helped him a lot. Just, oh, I love that. And he's actually started to do jujitsu as well. And that, no way, yeah. Yeah. We'll take him down. <laughs> I know, I know he's probably waiting to tell you before he, he can like spar more <laughs> with you. Okay, if you could have your dream dinner party, who would you invite, and
1: what would you prepare? Oh my gosh, Cur- there's so many people, but I think currently I would want Anthony Bourdain mm. to be there because then we could go to jujitsu class together because he he's just I think he has his purple belt. He just got his purple belt. And then we could go take a couple shots and then we could go cook dinner.
0: (laughs) He would be such a fun dinner guest. So much fun. I mean, you would probably be like really nervous to serve him food,
1: but. Oh my God. (laughs) I would be like, I picked up the best food in Charleston, but I didn't cook it. (laughs) Right,
0: right, right, right.
1: He would be hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: yeah. And so my last question is just, you know, one of the things I'm bringing up in almost every podcast where I talk to women is. Just the importance of mentorship between women and just like building that connection with other women. You talked about it in your book, and it was just really inspiring to read about. Can you talk a little bit about your relationship with Sean Korn and and mm-hmm. what it was like when you first approached her?
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, Sean Korn is just this unbelievable woman. And the, the first time before I really knew her, she walked in and took my class. I almost wet my pants, <laughs> survived, and then she came back the next morning. I was like, okay she didn't hate it because she wanted to be back. She hated it. And then she was continuing to take my class. She was wow. getting ready for something. And so after a couple classes, I was like, could I take you out to lunch and just pick your brain? And she was incredibly accommodating. And we had this amazing lunch and she's like, I'm happy to tell you everything I know and help you as much as I can. As long as you promise me that you'll do the same for anyone who asks it of you. And you know, especially if it's someone that intimidates you and i Said, oh, okay, all right. You know, and she really just taught me the importance of paying it forward. And, you know, she could have been incredibly snooty with me and viewed yeah. me as competition and been like, I don't have time for you. And yeah. she has moved mountains for me and is so supportive and is always there when I need her. And she's just been a phenomenal friend and mentor to me.
0: That Jersey girl is so wise.
1: Yeah, she I know. She really she's is.
0: Really same. She's just such a naturally intuitive, I mean, that's like, that's a really, um, that's an amazing thing that she had the forethought to do, right. To tell Mm -hmm. you like, okay, I'll share this with you and we're going to continue this like legacy of helping other women. Yeah. 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 Does anyone ever approach you to, for mentorship?
1: Oh, sure. You know, I mean, I have a lot of students who come up and, and ask for advice and sometimes friends as well. And I'm happy to give it. I love seeing good people succeed.
0: Yeah. It does make you feel good when you like get into that mindset of like, there's room for all of us. Everybody. Yeah. Yeah. yeah totally. Oh, truly. Totally. Well, that comes through a lot in your book, too. So thanks so much, Catherine, for talking oh, today. Let me know you. how you're doing. I, I will. Love, Thank love, you. I love you so much. I love you, too. <laughs> okay. Talk to you soon. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. I hope you feel inspired by the interview with Catherine. You can find out more about Catherine on her website, which is katherinebudig.com, K-A-T-H-R-Y-N-B-U-D-I-G.com. She also writes weekly for Yoga Journal and contributes to Yahoo Health and Women's Health Magazine, so you can find her articles there. Show notes for this episode, including some beautiful photos of Catherine and a link to her talk on body image, can be found at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode six. As always, thanks for listening and we'll talk to you soon.